Living in a fallen world and having to deal with our own brokenness, we are always needing spiritual renewal. And that's the theme of the book of Ezra. After 70 years in captivity, it's time for the people of God to return home where the first priority will be the worship of God and the rebuilding of the temple. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezra. Let's go to the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, as we take a look at these two chapters, chapter 5 and 6 tonight, uh, we get to see how you unstick us when we get stuck. Lord, you just bring your word, your presence, your power, your grace, your goodness to uh, save us, Lord, again and again. So thank you for the way you intervene with your grace And help us, Lord, to learn how to cooperate with your spirit in those times so that we could be delivered more easily, more readily. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I alluded to when we last left off, you'll recall the bad guys were up in the game. They just scored a goal, if you will. A painful setback for Team Israel. Uh, The dream, the work of God that had begun to rebuild the temple there and their lives in Jerusalem had come to a screeching halt. Now, Israel had seen rough days. You'll recall uh, Jerusalem had been conquered some 70, 80 years earlier. Uh, The glorious temple, the heartbeat of Judaism and Jewish life in their lives uh, was completely destroyed. That temple just demolished The city wall, the security uh, demolished, and the people themselves were removed from the land, exiled to modern-day Iraq, which was ancient Babylon. And so the chosen people had decided to bite the hand that feeds, and that's never a good idea, and it seldom leads to anything good. Amen? So God allowed them to be, for a conquest to happen, But he did, in his mercy, put parameters, didn't he? He said, it'll be for 70 years, and then afterwards I'll call you back to because I I, I have plans not to harm you, but to give you uh, a hope and a future. And so the 70 years are up, and God has put a new Persian king, King Cyrus, on the throne. And uh, he ruled the region, and God stirred him up to be favorable to allow the Jews to go back after those 70 years, to rebuild their lives, their nation, their temple, Jerusalem. And a spirit of revival came upon the children and the grandchildren of those who were exiled, and they came back that, what is it, 900- to 1,000-mile journey. And now they're back in the land. We've been studying this in Ezra, and they've begun the arduous task of rebuilding uh, from the rubble, <clears throat> hashtag, Jerusalem strong, all right? Uh, like Sonoma strong, you know, Santa Rosa strong. <clears throat> it's sort of the same idea um, because the up from the ashes, they are going to rise. Now, with God, all things are possible because, uh, I mean, just a mound of rubble, can you imagine? So they cleared the debris, and if I bring you up to la- the last chapter that we were studying in, Um, the foundation was actually laid. And there was great rejoicing and progress had been made in Jeremiah's prophecy. Chapter 29, verse 11 was coming to pass. God keeps his promises. And uh, even though it would seem like, oh, this is going to take a miracle, well, God's in the business of working miracles, isn't he? And so what was true then is true now, along with opportunity to rebuild their lives comes opposition. Opportunity, opposition. In the kingdom of God, get used to that. Those two come in pairs. And so, I mean, seriously, what kind of devil 
would he be if he just sat on his bony fingers and, and didn't uh, respond to when the people of God are, are, are getting together, getting it together and uh, making some progress and growing in the things that God asked for them. Jerusalem was meant to be a light, a city on the hill in more ways than just one, to, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And the devil doesn't want to see that happen. So where we left off was the dream kind of um, stalled. And that happens in our lives. And God does a lot during the pause. And uh, there was harassment, intimidation, opposition by the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. But those spiritual forces in heavenly places, as Ephesians 6 says, what's behind the scenes, took form in the um, civil authorities there, the Samaritans who did not like what was happening. They took legal action, as you'll recall, and convinced the new Persian king, not Cyrus. Cyrus has been displaced three or four times already, and it's only been 10 or 15 years. The, those guys change thrones a lot. And uh, so the new guy on the throne uh, now is convinced, has been convinced that the Jews are up to no good and shut the work down, even though Cyrus had said, I want this to happen, uh, but there's a new king and doesn't remember any of this. And so now uh, the work has ceased. Their hopes have been dashed. I mean, they've relocated their entire lives and the joy has turned to grief, the laughter to weeping, the noisy, happy construction has now gone silent. That's where we left off. The people of God have experienced a, a serious setback 10 years plus uh, have passed now, and Ezra 5, verse 1. Now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, two Old Testament books. Zechariah, the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who is over them? Then Zerubbabel, he is the high priest. He is the um, one sort of in charge there. Or I should say the governor. He's the governor. And uh, uh, Joshua is the high priest. And Joshua, the son of uh, this guy here, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were helping them. Uh, we're with them and assisting them. So let's talk about this. That they're, they're off and, and running. Now, uh, if you're taking notes, inspiration comes. So inspiration is the key word here. After 10 long, dark, dismal years stuck in a rut because, you know, the king said, shut it down. They shut it down and they got discouraged and they wandered away and just kind of gave up. And now, thanks to the word of God and the word of God comes into our hearts and lives to bring kind of spiritual CPR to us, to, to revive us, to, to call us back to the hope and the promises he has for us. And so it's nice to know that Haggai and Zechariah are contemporaries, they're friends, and they're hanging out with Ezra and Zerubbabel and Joshua. They're all friends here, contemporaries. Now, Haggai is the shortest book in the Old Testament, except for Obadiah. It's a little bit shorter. It's two quick chapters. And in those two quick chapters of Haggai, so Haggai comes into the scene. It's been 10 plus years. And, and he's wondering where, guys, let's get going again. There have been multiple changes on the throne. Let's just start the dream again. And so Haggai uh, preaches five messages. And if you read Haggai before you go to sleep tonight, you'll see what exactly he said to them on five different occasions. And so uh, when you read Haggai, you'll know exactly what has been going on in Jerusalem during this dreary kind of time. Uh, they let their hearts, uh, listen, they had honest grief. But like so many people of God, they mishandled it. And instead of that grief causing them to kind of hunker down, seek his face, be patient, and to grow, to be sharpened by their grief and trouble, uh, they hardened their hearts. And instead of becoming better, they became bitter. So Haggai has to bring out the spiritual defibrillators 
And he comes, let me show you three, three key verses from Haggai, and you'll, you'll get what's going on with these Jews in Jerusalem. He says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, the temple remains a ruin? So they had said, look, every man for himself right now. God, and God's going to kind of uh, let us be... Um, stopped in this work, he's not coming to our rescue, uh, then we're going to take care of me, myself, and I. We're going to just look out for number one. And so the prophet, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, is this the time, you, you know, your priorities, man, that's what he's saying. Uh, and, and then he says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but guess what? You're not getting much in return. You're harvesting little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you'll never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. He says, listen, when you're all about yourself and you're putting you first, how are you ever going to experience the, the, the blessing of God? And then finally, he does say, uh, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will... Grant great peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So two things had to happen. Number one, there are two exhortations that Haggai comes to the people with. He says, number one, you've got to adjust your priorities. And number two, you've got to change your attitude. And, And that's it. If we ever want God to do a renewal in our hearts and lives, two things, adjust your priority, change your attitude. So Uh, The first one, adjusting your priorities. He's like, uh, you know, where's your commitment? Where's your zeal? You've gone through a little trouble. Are you a fair-weathered Christian? You know, uh, instead of uh, renewing your effort to walk with the Lord, to seek his face, uh, they simply gave up, and they're just looking out for number one, as I've said. Uh, One writer said, hard times give sinful hearts an excuse to throw off the restraints of lordship and pursue self-gratification. So your heart and mine, the sinful part, loves to use an owie, for an excuse to say, now I'm going to stay home from church tonight, or I'm going to, I'm going to stop serving here, or I'm going to just self-medicate in whatever way that is, just because you're hurting, you know, just because you feel disappointed. And, and that's what they're doing here. And so Haggai has to say, listen, and he lays their deplorable situation out. He says, housing shortages, disappointing harvests, lack of clothing, lack of jobs, widespread financial struggles. Yoo-hoo, hello. Your pockets have holes in them. Why? It's not because you, you, you don't have stuff. You have the stuff. But I put holes in your pockets so that the stuff doesn't satisfy you so you'll know to seek me and not the stuff that something's wrong. Something is wrong. That is why one writer said, many Christians wonder why they can never get ahead financially as they give more money to Starbucks to buy themselves lattes than they give to support the work of the Lord. Now, that is just what someone else said. I didn't even say that, just so you know. (laughs) But he says, listen, uh, He's asking them, you know, what Jesus said. Listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So uh, this is what's been going on there. And so um, let me see here. Uh, A couple months later, Zechariah comes into town, and uh, his message is more encouraging. And Zechariah is going to say, um, listen, look, and here's an example of what Zechariah said. He says, uh, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you. And, and the New Testament parallel for that is in James, where he says, draw near to, to God, and God will draw near to you. God is saying, so, so Haggai is really a cautionary tone, 
and talks more about getting started with the building. And Zechariah is more an encouraging tone that talks about their lives and their hearts for God. And, and essentially, Zechariah is saying, look, all is not lost. There's reason for hope. I'm not done with you. I am not done with you. But what I do need is for you to cooperate and turn your stubborn heart in my direction so I can bless you. So the word of the Lord came in and said, adjust your priorities, change your attitudes. And happily, they did. And so off we go with the pastors helping them. Uh, they reordered their priorities and they returned to the work. So they're up and running. Uh, three through five. At that time, Tatanai, governor of the Trans-Euphrates, this means across the river, uh, and Shethar Bolzani, wow, and their associates went to them and asked, hey, hold on here, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore the structure? They also asked, what are the names of the men constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius, the new king, and his written reply would be received. Well, this is still good news here. So note takers, confrontation. Inspiration, now confrontation, the the least favorite word in the English language. So yes, uh, opportunity, opposition. Always, all right? And the children of light, as we're called in First Thessalonians chapter 5, we do God's business and his work in a world that prefers darkness. So we must always know that conflicts are just around the corner. So the Jews begin this work without the approval of this new king, Darius, all right? And so um, Tatanai is the new governor. He replaced the dude named Raham. Remember, Raham was the governor before who, got, who, who sent a slanderous letter, who got the work shut down in the first place. He's been replaced now by this new guy called Tatanai, and he's got a couple cohorts. And they've noticed, wow, hey, it's been 10, 15 years, and they're starting to work again on the temple. And so it catches their attention. And um, verses three and four here, here it is. They say, hold on here. Who, wait a second. Uh, who's authorized this? Do you have permits? We need to see <clears throat> city approval, licenses, fees, registration, all of that. And then notice the um, intimidation. <clears throat> Excuse me. The intimidation. And we want everybody's name and social security numbers. <laughs> now, it's one thing for you to be a nameless face in the crowd, right? For your Christian devotion. Yeah, I go to the rock, you know, whatever, and there you are, right? But if it were against the law and the secret police and there were spies and we were back in Nazi Germany, right? And it could cost you your life. uh, And then they want to know your name. Oh, you go to the rock, what's your name? What's your address? The question always for me is, would I give my name? They want to know the names. We want the names. And so uh, that is going to separate the men from the boys. Now, King James has that they offer their names uh, because there are two renderings. In Hebrew, it's kind of hard to say. They want their names and they give their names. That's really the understanding of what happened. They have nothing to hide. And so they say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. But notice the ray of hope and sunshine in verse 5. But the eye of God was watching over them. I love what one writer said, G. Campbell Morgan. He said, now about the eye of God, we are not to suppose for a moment that this was anything new. That eye had always been upon them. But through the teaching of the word of God, their hearts were awakened to what was always the case. God was watching. He cared about them and was standing ready to help. Now, too bad we don't always realize that. You're in the rut. The watchful eye of your God is on you even more when you're in the rut. But that's the time where we think he's lost our address. He doesn't know what's going on. That's why in Isaiah chapter 40, he says, why do you say, Israel, my cause is disregarded by my God? 
In other words, that God doesn't know what in the world is going on in your heart and life. And uh, that's sort of the understanding uh, here that now they're suddenly aware, oh, wow, God is looking out for us. So a remarkable grace really uh, here that this new governor really seems more level-headed, doesn't he? He's really reasonable. You're going to find out that this guy, listen, not all unbelievers are filled with the same kind of uh, adversity or hostility toward God. You know, just like in the church with believers, there's all kinds of levels of love for God. And, and right? There are, there are. And same in unbelief. There's all kinds of levels uh, from mild to hostile. And this guy seems very mild, it turns out. So <clears throat> things are rather intense with the interrogation. But look at the grace. It's, it's allowed to continue. The work is allowed to continue until after a letter goes all the way a thousand miles to new King Darius, and then a thousand miles all the way back. And so God has given them time to pray, to seek the Lord, and to win Tatanai and his buddies, Bozanai, whatever his name was, <laughs> over to the Lord. Now, I wonder what Tatanai's letter to King Darius said. Oh, here it is. Part one. This is a copy. So he's a good administrator because he somehow had a couple copies because uh, Ezra got a hold of one. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanai, governor, sent <laughs> to King Darius. The report they sent to him reads as follows. To King Darius, cordial greetings. That, you know, some things just don't change. This is like uh, 2,500 years ago. And they still started out, dear King Darius, cordial greetings. That's just amazing. The king should know, heads up, that we, we, that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. Interesting. The people are building it with large stones and placing the timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence and is making rapid progress under their direction. We questioned the elders and asked them, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? We also asked them their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the answer they gave us. So let's pause here, talk about this, Darius letter part one, and uh, the inquiry, note takers, the inquiry. So now Tatanai wants to inform Darius the issue at hand. And he's pretty upright, you know? He just kind of just, no slander, no deceit, no exaggerations, no hyperbole, no bias, no prejudice. He's just gonna lay out the facts. He says, just do my job, boss. Listen, uh, we, we saw this. Number one, you should know this. There's this big remodel going on, a substantial work. And that's why he points out large stones and timber reinforced. It, it kind of looks more like a, um, like a fortress. We don't know what they're up to. And just kind of just, just heads up on that. Now, so it's a substantial work. Verse 8, substantial work. And this substantial work is dedicated to a substantial God. Now, to, he, they, he calls him the great God. Now, they're used to a polytheistic world, that there were gods all over the place. And they were superstitious. They believed that there could be a God of Israel, right? And the rumor about this God of Israel was that he was pretty great because he was God of heaven and earth. And they heard rumors. They knew that this God could dry up the, the, the uh, Red Sea, he knew, uh, he, they knew that he could produce plagues and hail and fire. So he, he's a great God. So it's a substantial work, A, and it's to a substantial deity. It's the God of heaven. That, that's a big deal. And then he goes on to say, and they're, doing, they're going great guns. There's rapid progress. In other words, a substantial work to a substantial God making substantial progress. So, boss, we interrogated them. We asked them questions, got their names, their IDs, and uh, so you can check them out. 
That's in verse 10, verse 11. Uh, here's their version now, he says. Here's what they say. We, we called him in and we made him fill out an affidavit and, and here's what they said. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and we're rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, one that a great king, Solomon of Israel, built and finished. But because our fathers angered the God of heaven, he handed them over to Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you've heard of him, the Chaldean king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. He even removed from the temple of Babylon the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. Then King Cyrus gave them to a man named Sheshbazar, <laughs> how bizarre, uh, whom he had appointed governor, and he told him, take these articles and go and deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God on its site. So this Sheshbar, bazaar, <laughs> came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. From that day to the present, it has been under construction, but it's not yet finished. Uh, this is very interesting. Straightforward reply. Love their reply. Just no whining, no complaining, no finger pointing, no complicated, convoluted story. You know, you know, people been spying on us and they made up false reports and then, then, then the work got stopped and none of that. Just straight up, here's what's going on. Notice, and I think it's worth note, emulating for when we're kind of stuck. Number one, <clears throat> they know who they are. They say, hey, we're servants. We're not your servants necessarily. We're not civil servants necessarily, first and foremost. We're not out doing our own thing. We belong to God, number one. He's the, and not just any God, he's the alpha male God. He's the God of heaven and earth. So, you know, God is the one who said he's the alpha male he said, I'm the alpha and the beginning. I'm the A to the Z. I'm an and everything in between. So he says, that's, well, number one, we know who we are. We're just servants of the alpha and omega God. Number two, uh, we know what we're doing. Uh, we're restoring the temple that was already ours to begin with. And uh, one of our famous kings, King Solomon, uh, had built and established that. Number three, we know what, how we got in this predicament uh, from, uh, listen, he says, uh, we, back in those days, our people turned away from God and God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to chastise us. The temple was destroyed and we were deported. And that's why most of our people live closer to you than to us right now. Because all the Jews lived in Persia, in Iran, I met a guy who told me, he says, yeah, actually, I look Iranian and I speak Farsi, but I'm a Jew. And he says, you know how we ended up there? This is a modern day conversation. He says, you know how we, Jews, ended up in Iran was back here. <laughs> this is exactly what happened. And so he says, listen, we got deported because we were uh, on the naughty list and God had to uh, correct us and, and bring us to our senses. So we know, we know, and finally he says, and we know what we're supposed to be doing. We know what God wants. He gave us permission to rebuild and we're doing it and we're not done. End of story. Oh, it's the best when, when you don't go into blaming and, and kvetching and all of that things that Jewish people can be known to do. Kvetching, it means to whine and complain. But isn't it a great word to kvetch? Doesn't it just sound like you're complaining? <laughs> it sounds way better than to complain. I mean, more, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm convincing right now about something. Okay, moving on. And so, yeah, I mean, can you say the same thing? 
I know who I belong to. I, I know who I am. I'm a servant. I, I know that what his interests are. I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the, the just clarity. And then uh, Tatanai signs off after he says, this is what they say. And now he signs off and says, next slide, please. Now, if it pleases the king, Darius, let a search be made in the royal archives. It means library of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue this decree that they're talking about to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us your decision in the matter. I love that. And so, you know, just asking you to verify for us their explanation, so clean, so simple, and uh, so above board. I like Tantanai. I think we may see him. He's got a softer heart than some of the ones who have come before him. Now, chapter 6, we're going to see what happens now on the other side of the world here. So King Darius then issued an order. He got the letter, and they searched in those libraries stored in the treasury at Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, as I've been saying. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ekbantana in the province of Media, and this was written on it. Memorandum. (laughs) Just means just taking a note, right? In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now I can just imagine King Darius like, what? Wow. Wow. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. It is to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide with three courses of large stones and one of timbered large stones. Remember? Hey, they're using large stones and timber. Aha! Large stones and timber. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also, the gold and the silver articles that were stolen by this thief uh, and taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought uh, are to be brought back uh, and brought to Babylon are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. All right, so... Note takers, the memorandum. Oh, yes. All right. So after a little digging, and it did take a little digging because, my friend, if Satan had any hand in this at all, you can rest assured that that memorandum was at the bottom of the barrel in some obscure place, in some obscure village. But you know what? And it says they had to search. It wasn't in the original Libraries. They found it in Ekbatana. And I did a little research. It's like where they went for their summer vacation. What was it doing there? Satan's like, hey, you want to take this letter on your summer vacation? And then, well, you know, the kids are playing in the ocean. You could just leave it somewhere and it'll get filed at the bottom of some old junk drawer, right? But you know what? When God wants something to come to the surface and be found, I don't care how obscure it's going to be. If it's in some pottery, in some cave, in some desert there in uh, Israel, where he wants some dead sea scrolls to come up because some kid went in there bouncing a ball and heard a crack and went in there and said, what are these? was the greatest archaeological find in the history of the world. If God wants something to come to the surface, it doesn't matter if it's an axe head in the Jordan River. Uh, As he brought that up uh, and let that be seen, I've written that down somewhere. I'll tell you where it is. Uh, 2 Kings chapter uh, 6. So don't you worry about anything that needs to be found, whether it's your vindication or somebody's done you wrong or said something untrue about you, don't worry. God knows right where that is and how to bring it up. He's going to take care of things. He's in total control. And don't worry. 
Your sins also, <laughs> your secret ones, they have a way of coming up at just the right time to help you to repent. Now, I don't know that that was so encouraging, but, <laughs> but you know, we all do want to be right with God. Amen. Well, okay, so sweet vindication, long story short, the truth is told, everything's checking out here, but the, there are some bonus points here. <laughs> he says, oh, check the, 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 the large stones and the timber, check, and then, oh, the articles that were stolen, oh, he mentioned that, they mentioned that, check, but what they didn't mention Oh, and by the way, and see how God works? They didn't say, and by the way, we're supposed to pay for it too. You know, they're just gracious. They left that part out, but God says, oh, you don't need to leave that part out. I'm going to help them remember that. And, 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 and it says extra bonus points. And by the way, you are to pay and fund that work and give them everything they need out of the taxes the tax revenues that you collect in your province over there. So it's not coming from Persia. It's going to come from the Trans-Euphrates, the region of half of Iran, half of Syria, Jordan, and Israel is the Trans-Euphrates. And they're collecting taxes. And he's saying, you're going to use those taxes, Cyrus was saying that originally, to do the work that God requires. And so his decree is as follows. Now he's going to come up with a decree based on what he found. Check, 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 plus the bonus points, right? Here's what uh, King Darius says. Now then, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and the other dude, and all the guys with you, don't interfere with, stay away from there. Don't interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury. Yes, from the expenses, oh, wait a second, from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs, burnt offerings for the ministry there, all of Judaism operates this way, communal meals and sin offerings and all of this, uh, to the God of heaven, whether it be wheat, salt, wine, and oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king, me, and my boys. <laughs> Love that. Verse 11. Furthermore, I decree, I decree, he's talking like the desperate Middle Eastern dictator he is, I decree that if anyone changes this edict, a beam is to be pulled from his house and he is to be lifted up and impaled on it. <laughs> and for this crime, his house, oh, but wait, there's more. Uh, his house is to be made a pile of rubble. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, King Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. Wow. Amen. You like this guy, don't you? I like him. I hope we see him, you know. So Darius gets on board. The decree is issued, note takers. So first order, don't mess with them. Order number one. Hey, I've checked it out. It's all true. Everything they said was true. They left out a part, but we'll get to that about the money. But everything they say is true. So listen, his heart is stirred up. Listen, he's a Jewish sympathizer. How do we know this? Well, we assume it from his response. But we also can put together some pieces. We've got Esther over there. We've got Daniel 
Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego over there. A little few years earlier, but they've impacted the Persian administration by their lives. And so, I mean, you've got Mordecai and Esther, queen of a former king before this Darius. Now, Darius is, means Lord, and there are three Dariuses. So it's really hard to say who was who, right? Xerxes is another title that gets Artaxerxes, Xerxes, and then Desertes. You know, just <laughs> made that one up, the third one. So all we, we do know that, uh, that he is um, predisposed to be kind. So he says, don't mess with them. So as for your men, stay, keep your distance, do not interfere. As for the temple, make sure you rebuild it accordingly, not near the place, not ha- no compromise. How about over there? How about if we do that? No, 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 no. On the site, do it the right way, right away, all the way in a happy way, just like mom always said. Number three. <laughs> thought that was funny. Okay, just me. As for its funding, surprise, the taxes y'all collect in that region must go to pay their wages, salaries, building supplies, and ministry costs incurred. Everything they need so that this ministry will thrive and the building will be completed and it will not cease. Now, is it a flicker of faith Faith in God? It, it might be. It might be superstition. Here's a motivation. I want this to be successful so that they, the Jewish people, will pray for me and my sons. Now, there's nothing really bad about that per se. One writer said, this Persian king is not being unbiblical in his logic. He seems to be thinking, as I help the cause of God and bless his people and further his work, I may expect him to be favorably disposed to me and mine. I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I mean, the Lord rewards acts of service and the Lord repays acts of treachery. And Darius is more interested in the reward. And so he's saying, uh, you know, I'm doing all of this for you guys. So just, you know, keep me in your prayers. I mean, if he said, you know, I'd like a wing of the temple named after me. Now we'd have to draw the line there, right? But he's just saying, could you keep me and my boys in prayer? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's been very helpful. So lastly, he says, and as anyone who opposes the work, verses 11 and 12 says up there. Um, Now, these kinds of kings, they love to to, to put, uh, put out curses after they made their decree. So you, if you disregard me, these are the curses that are going to come upon you. And uh, so long story short, you'll lose your life and you'll lose your home in the most brutal of ways imaginable. So uh, I, I, I think you get this. Here's what I want to say about this section. If ever there was an illustration of Romans 8.28, where God is able to use all things together to work all things together for his good. It's here. Had there not been a slowdown and a drama and an interrogation and Tatanai coming in and saying, hey, line up. We need to fill out some forms and the music gets scary and all of that struggle. Had it not been for that, you would not be getting the salaries, the, the blessing. All of, uh, all of God's blessings sometimes are dependent on some of the tough times that precede those times. In other words, uh, one writer said, well, William Cowper, he wrote a lot of hymns and he wrote some poems as well. And one line in his poem says, the clouds which ye so much dread are big with mercy. The clouds that you're so dreading are actually filled up with merciful blessings. 
And so oftentimes we see that. You know, they're all worried about any minute the other boot is going to fall, that they're going to end up just like the last time a letter went out and came back. They had to stop the building. And so they're all worried and all of that. So the letter comes back and not only, not only does they say, come on, let's do this, go for it. People finish this work. We're going to pay you. Wow, that's incredible. And just, you know, don't forget that. So, okay, let's make haste, finish up. I wonder what effect this new edict is going to have on the work, 13 through 15. Then because of the decree King Darius had sent that said, build and we're paying for it, Tatanai, the governor, and his associates carried it out with diligence. <laughs> of course, you know, who wants a beam impaled through your body? <laughs> you know? uh, diligence is really an understatement <laughs> of what happened there. Verse 14, so the elders of the Jews continue to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. These two guys are preaching and encouraging them. The word of God, sitting under the teaching of the word of God as you're rebuilding your broken world, your building, your life, right? So they finished the building. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. See, we didn't even know Artaxerxes was involved. And that is Esther's husband there. Ta-da! <laughs> Kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. All right, so the wonderful, wonderful effect. We're finishing up now. So a, comp, uh, a completed temple here. So as I said, since nobody in Jerusalem in the admin department wanted to be impaled uh, with a beam from their own house, uh, they take this decree seriously. So continuing on. 16 through 18. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. So it's dedication time. For the dedication of this house of God, <clears throat> they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. Okay, so the book of Moses is, of course, any, any, probably Deuteronomy or parts of Leviticus. Now, uh, the dedication, note takers, the dedication. So the work is finally complete, and it always is because the Lord is the author and the perfecter of the work he starts in us and wherever he's at work. And so Proverbs 13, verse 12, this reminds me, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So God's people now are filled with sweetness, nurturing life, they're seeing God answer their prayers and restore this beautiful city and the heartbeat of their, their believing life, their faith, or their souls are revived and all of this. Uh, so for sure, weeping endured for the night, but joy has come now in the morning, Psalm uh, 30. Now, for me, my mind went straight to the Lord's appearing because all the while I'm thinking what I've told you before, that the temple stands for you and your life because we are the temple of the Lord. In the New Testament, he doesn't dwell in a building. He dwells in a temple of our bodies. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, don't you realize that you're the temple? So we've been broken. We've been destroyed. We were estranged. We were exiled. And God is bringing us back to himself, and we're the work in progress. We're that building. And so one day, we're going to stand complete. The work that he started in you, and it was him who started. He says, I'm confident of one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it forward to completion. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He's the author and he's the perfecter of your faith. So he started a work there with this temple that was in ruins. And now it's dedication Sunday and it's beautiful. And one morning you're going to wake up and it's going to be dedication Sunday for your temple. And you are going to be everything you were supposed to be in God's mind, unbroken, whole, holy, knowing completely even as we are completely known, face to face with the God who made us. Just in heaven, blameless, spotless, without wrinkle, the Bible says, just without. Yeah, he didn't mean wrinkles. It means like a wedding gown without wrinkles. But, you know, I'll take the wrinkle part, uh, meaning literally as well. Uh, But I just think, you know, that morning you wake up and you'll be satisfied when you awake in his likeness. The day's coming. No more mourning, no more crying, no more. None of this with your mind doing things that you shouldn't be thinking and and saying things you ought not to say, and feeling things that you ought not to feel. None of that. It's a short time to have to struggle with this broken temple and be a work in progress, but it's a long time following this joyous celebration and dedication. So I really look forward to that. And I, I, I see the joy that they're experiencing and relate it to the joy of when we are complete and standing in uh, his presence. Let's finish up. It's the last paragraph here. On the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. What a coincidence. Verse 20, the priests and Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. So the pastors set themselves apart and as they should. Uh, The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for everybody who returned, for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it together with all who separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile non-Jewish neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated. That's how long that holiday lasts. And it includes the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria, okay, the the king of Babylon there, so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. And so with that, we finish two chapters. Let me make some final points here. The last point for you note takers is, of course, And it should be no surprise. We've had grace and mercy extended when people don't deserve it. We've had spiritual opposition conquered on on believers' behalves. We've had the temple miraculously rebuilt and lives restored with joy and uh, goodness. Uh, You can't have any of this without the cross. And so it's not a coincidence that God allowed the work to culminate two weeks before Passover because without the Passover, without the shed blood of the lamb, <clears throat> there's no going to be a temple restored. Nobody's going to come back to God. There's no joy. There has to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And Passover, of course, is just going to point us to the blood, not of a lamb, but of the lamb. So I just want to recall, take your minds back to the first Passover uh, celebrated there, described in Exodus chapter 12. It was a thousand years earlier from their time, their first Passover. Moses was leading the way out, Exodus way out, of uh, slavery there in Egypt. And God was showing signs and wonders during the 10 plagues. The worst of the 10 plagues was plague number 10, death to the firstborn of Egypt. And so the sacrifice required was a spotless lamb. And the Lord directed the people, this is going to be a holiday, and this is what I want you to do. Death is coming. 
I want you to slaughter a perfect spotless lamb. And I want, to, want you to take that blood and I want you to put it on the doorposts and on the lintels. I had to look that word up. It's the, the support beam over the door. And there's a real, we shouldn't gloss over that. And I, I'm going to show you a picture and why. Now, when death came that evening, death, the Lord, saw the blood. And he says, when I see the blood, that there's been a death already in the house, why, why do I need to take somebody's life if there's already been a life taken? So I will pass over. So now for <clears throat> some a thousand times, the Jews have been rehearsing that over and over for a thousand years. But the whole point of that in even 500 more years was that John, in John's gospel, he introduces Jesus to Israel as behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the whole thing was pointing that when death came, that because there was blood on the doorposts of our hearts, the, the lintels of our hearts, right? That death was already, already happened. Our sins were already paid for. So death doesn't have to happen to us. So death passes over us, the whole Christian experience. And the whole reason we take communion to celebrate Passover, the forgiveness of sins and the escape from Death. Now, let me show you a picture of that Passover. This, this, uh, this, this is what was going on in Jerusalem that weekend. They put the blood here and here and here. But as you're dipping, right, you have to make a, a, the sign of the cross. You have to see a cross there, and, and that even if the door is shut, the blood is going to drip down here, and you've got it here, and you've got the, the cross here. And you just see the cross of the entrance of their home, and everybody inside that place was safe. And that was the, that for us is the guarantee payment that not only are we going to escape death, but this temple is going to be restored. It's the, dead, it's the guarantee, it's the deposit that what God started in us, he's going to finish on that day where you're going to be complete and whole and unharmed through death itself. And all because, and this is why it's at the end of the story and at the dedication, that somebody died for you. That somebody paid the price of your free salvation. That somebody had a watchful eye of love over you and drew you to his side. It opened you to faith and belief in him. And so your Savior, the Son of God, the God-man, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, the God-man, the Lamb, he makes rebuilding the temple, restoring our lives, the joy, the true meaning of life that is truly life because of him and what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you, Lord, for doing what we could never do, shedding your blood on our behalf so that we might be made whole in Jesus name amen listen we are all broken including myself we all have piles of rubble some larger piles and more uh, daunting than others but listen don't don't be discouraged be discouraged if you're not going to follow God in it because the pile can get bigger and the mess, messier. But if you're going to do what these people are doing and just cooperate and yield and surrender and walk with God each day, you know, a little bit of that rubble is going to dissipate. You're going to see the foundation. You're going to see building. You're going to see things set in place. You're going to be happy. It's going to happen. Let's get as much done as we can before the trumpet sounds. That's the goal.
We're not going to make it all the way in this life, but we, we got some goals, some deadlines to make. Don't get discouraged. Cooperate. It's going to happen. He's faithful. Father, thank you. We give you the piles of rubble, the brokenness, the weakness, and we're thinking about that right now. And we pray that you would help us not be discouraged, but to look to you, to be reassured by your love and the death you died on our behalf, that you mean serious business with that pile of rubble. And you're going to build us up. Hashtag believers strong. (laughs) We are going to be made whole. And uh, we want to cooperate with the process. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.